Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. We're going to hop right back into the prodigal son uh, this morning. And uh, as I said last week, you can attack this story when you study it several different ways. But the way that most people will go after it is they'll look at it through the lens. This is almost like a three-part story. Because we just saw all about the son in Act 1. Today, we're seeing Act 2, which focuses on the father and his reaction to the son. Now, I have a confession to make this morning. I was a single man and uh, working in youth ministry in Willow Grove, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, it was late. I was surfing YouTube. And I had a weak moment. This is a confession time. See, I stumbled across a channel that was called the Homecoming Channel. If you don't know what the Homecoming Channel is, it's all of these videos compiled of all the soldiers coming home, like surprising their family members. You know, they get wrapped up in a big box and the mom comes down, what's this? Oh, it's you. And they're like weeping and kids seeing their father after the kids have been deployed and all of this. And, and I am sitting there and I stumbled across it at first. I was like, oh, that's very cute. And then I kept watching and I kept watching and I wasn't crying. I was misting. Um... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, like I think 45 minutes passed of this and I'm watching new ones and say, oh, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. And all of this. And, and you watch all of these and, and the, the channel's still up there. You can watch them and they're very, very cool. Some of them are really cool. I mean, you see dads meeting their child for the first time after being deployed for months. Uh, and it, it gets you choked up. Uh, even the un, most unemotional stoic of us, uh, but as I thought about this this week, there's something about homecomings that are very sweet for us. Uh, there's normally a good relationship between the parties that you see being reunited. Uh, they, they, they have a good relationship with each other. They have a friendship with one another. Uh, there is not ill feeling towards one another, or then that makes for an awkward homecoming. That's the one that's like, oh, yay, you're back. Woo. We'll give you the partial, you know, the side hug, uh, not the full-on hug. Um, there's something about homecomings that is just wonderful when relationship is right. But as you know, sometimes relationships get strained and broken, and it does cause awkwardness. And I wonder this morning, have you been on the end of a reunion where maybe the relationship was strained, maybe there was some hurt, whether you caused it or the other person caused it? And I wonder for you, how did that go down? How could you make something like that sweet, beautiful, God-honoring. I think for many of us, we would struggle. And I've had a couple times where I've had to meet a person after years, and all of a sudden, you get flooded back with those memories of how this person wounded you or used you or what they said about you. And so uh, there is that almost hesitation when you're reunited with them. I wonder if you've been on either side of that. Maybe you had to be the one to apologize. I don't know. But today we're going to see an amazing homecoming. And frankly, an example of someone who overlooked horrible things, but saw the person. Now, 
A real quick review of last week. If you were not here, you can check out the, uh, our, our website and you can watch last week's sermon or hear the last week's sermon. Uh, if you're a podcaster, I'm trying to get our podcast functioning again because it totally died there for a minute, but you can catch up on a lot of this. I do want to do a quick review. If you know the prodigal son story, and even people who don't go to church often have an idea of what the prodigal son is all about. I mean, just type in prodigal son into Google, you will see everything come up. There was a TV show called The Prodigal Son. Uh, it, it's a familiar story to people, just like Jonah, people who don't even go to church. The prodigal son, last week we took a look at the son and everything that he did, and a couple reminders about some of the things that he did. One, he disrespected his father publicly. He asked for his inheritance. He's the second-born son. He had no right to it. He embarrasses his father. Number two, he sold his family's legacy, generational wealth, generational heirlooms. He sold it to whoever would just give him cash. Didn't matter if the money matched how, uh, how valuable these things were. He just wanted cash because he wanted to have a good time. And so he sells all of it. Three was he lived amongst Gentiles. As a Jewish person, this was basically, why on earth would you even come back home? You've lived amongst Gentiles. We don't live amongst the Gentiles. So he goes and lives amongst them. And then number four, he blew it all on wasteful living. All the money he had earned, he blew it on parties. He rented the best hotels, had the most beautiful women. He had wine, woman, and song, okay? Everything there. He enjoyed his time. And then there was nothing left, and a, and a famine hits. And that brings us to number five of what he did last week. He ends out living on a pig farm. Once again, as the Jewish audience is hearing this, they're like, oh, my word, pig farm he was feeding pigs he was living with pigs that's an unclean animal thousands of years of history that's an unclean animal how dare he this kid had no right to come home and if you remember from last week i talked about who all's hearing this story by jesus well there was the tax collectors and sinners that had come to hear him and be with him but the pharisees were there and they were the main target of this story the religious leaders who did everything right, they made sure to wash their hands the same amount of time. And they made sure that when they gave a grain offering that they put the exact number that they were supposed to put in because they did the law perfectly. And Jesus is targeting them with this story because they're condemning him for allowing tax collectors and sinful people come to him. The Pharisees at this point would have looked at the son and said, no mercy on this guy, no mercy, no mercy. Okay, we want this, this dude, hell isn't even a good enough treatment for him. He deserves the absolute worst. And this is where Jesus begins to turn the story on them. We're going to see turning of the story one way and then turning of the story next, way, uh, next week uh, as well. He begins to talk about the Father. In Luke 15, I'll have up here on the screen, uh, if you have the bulletin, there's a QR code there and you can follow along with the version app. Uh, has all the notes in there as well. Uh, Luke 15, the story turns, and we actually read part of this verse last week. The son, as he's at the pig farm, he's lived amongst Gentiles, blown all the generational wealth and all this stuff. Uh, he, it says he gets up and goes to his father. Imagine what that had to be like. It says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
This is shocking to a Pharisee. Should we list off, Father, what all this kid has done? Should we list off the fact that you could stone him if you wanted to and it'd be totally acceptable? Or you could take him into the public circle as we talked about last week and slap him in front of everyone to embarrass and humiliate him? You have the right to do that. They would be shocked that a father would do this. There's a couple things that we need to highlight. And I have a few things in this verse that before we move on, we, we need to understand the cultural context this is a, a, an audience a long time ago, and we as Americans in 2023, where I can order pizza on my phone and things from China to be delivered tomorrow, well, not tomorrow, but you get the idea, that we lose the cultural context here. It says that this father, while he was a still a long way off, the father saw him. I need to give you an idea. When I grew up hearing this story, or there was like flannel graph, or maybe it was pictures of this story, it was always this father who had this nice house out in a field somewhere, by themselves, nice mansion, living out there, living the dream with the wheat fields and all of that. When you think about the original context in Palestine, though, your villages there looked a little different. This is what a village roughly would have looked like. You're like, okay, whatever. I've seen pictures like this before. The house would have been in the middle of a lot of other houses. This is significant for a few reasons. One, everyone knew what the son had done because everybody in a town like this knows everybody's business. So they know what the son did. And they, they, you know that anyone in that town, if you ask them about that son, they're like, ain't no way that boy better come back here. He has disgraced his father. The father knew this, that if his son was to return, everyone would see him. He knew what they thought about him. And so it says that the father was looking for him. What, why would you look for him? Well, he wanted to possibly, possibly intercept him before he comes into town. He sees him a long ways off. He runs out to him, which we'll talk about in a moment. But the shocking thing about this is he was filled with compassion. I want you to understand what the audience is seeing with this, okay? There's two things, and we have a list of these today, that the audience would have been taking in. Now, the sinners, when they hear this part of the story, the sinners would have uh, seen anticipation, they would have seen a father who was anticipating the son's returning. He expected it. Perhaps the father's like, well, I know how this is going to end, son. You want to blow all your, your money out there in a Gentile land and think you're going to find happiness and joy and all that stuff? You're going to come back home. The father anticipated. But the Pharisees saw a scandal. The Pharisees saw a scandal. How scandalous of this father that he would even take this kid back. How shocking. And it says not only that, but the father ran out to meet him. He saw him from a long distance off, runs out to meet him. He was filled with compassion. The Greek word for filled with compassion means emotion that is, uh, physically affects you, okay? If I was to ask some of you, I need you to come up and finish my sermon today. So stand up here. Here's the notes. 
you would immediately feel that wonderful feeling in your stomach of butterflies, you know? There's a physical reaction. There's, uh, you know, whenever you talk of your spouse or uh, for those that are in school, you talk about the girl that you have a crush on. You feel a little bit of your face getting red uh, or whatever. Uh, There's a physical response to your emotions. It says, filled with compassion, he had a gut reaction, a churning in him that my son has returned. This was not just going through the motion. This was genuine love that caused a physical response in the father. He loved that son that much. Yes, the son that he can figure has probably done some pretty shady stuff. And not just that, he runs out, he hugs the boy, he repeatedly kisses him is what the word there means, repeatedly kisses him. Where did the son just come from? How many of you want to go up and just give a big old wet kiss to a pig farmer today? I don't think so, Jack, okay? I, I got to make sure I don't put my hand back there. That was me. Uh, we had that happen one other time. Uh, you're not going to go hug on a person. And you think about this. This kid may have been walking from a long distance, sweaty, dirty, pig dirt, pig stink all over him. He's been living with them, and the father does not care. He hugs him anyway. He kisses him anyway. He welcomes him home. Now, there's another part of this before we move to verse 21. There's another thing that sinners that were hearing the story uh, uh, saw, but also the Pharisees saw. And the second is this. Sinners saw humility, whereas Pharisees saw dishonor. Sinners saw humility, whereas Pharisees saw dishonor. I have to get a little bit culture on you again. First off this, uh, it says that the father ran to him, okay? Uh, Just so you know, that means he wanted to go see his son face to face. Now, he's a wealthy man. He had servants. He could have sent out the servants and say, hey, escort him home. But he did not. He wanted to go out and see him himself. So the father does something that is, well, a little bit embarrassing for what we'll call an honor culture. Yes, I have put my clothes on before, but I'm not used to this. Um, There we go. All right, now we're doing all right. Um, There's something about this. Have you heard of an honor culture? An honor culture is a culture that really doesn't care so much about valuable things. They care a lot more about your honor. And men will work for a long time to make sure that they have honor in the eyes of the public. This would be familiar to this audience. Uh, Some other examples, this is still very much a part of the society in Asia. Uh, Or maybe, here's a a good example, and some of you may not be familiar with this show, but I'm just going to give you a lesson on it. Uh, British, uh, high British society. There was a show on PBS that you'll see from time to time called Keeping Up Appearances. Has anyone watched this? Okay. Uh, The main star, her name is uh, Miss Bucket, or as she pronounces it, Bouquet. And she it just thinks that she is high society Britain. And it's all about this honor and being perceived as this high, notable, uh, you know, English person and going through all the motions of it. And it's a funny show. She plays a part perfectly. This is an honor society. You want people to view you as higher than the rest of them. Which why I'm putting this on comes into play. See, it says that the father walked out to him ran to him. 
This is an honor society back in this day and age. It would have been humiliating for this father to run because men of high stature, which we knew he was because he had a lot of possessions, would not run. They would walk because you're high society, okay? You don't do that kind of thing. And part of the reason is because when you wear something like this, which would have been traditional, okay? I'm going to do my best with this, and I'm not going to embarrass myself too much. There's a phrase that we see also in Ephesians called girding up your loins, okay? Well, I'm going to blow the microphone today. This is not long enough. You get the idea. You reach behind, you grab the back, you get it, and you tuck it into here. So now it looks like you have these cute little shorts on, uh, or cheap shorts, and so this father to run would have had to reach under, gird up his loins, and go run out. That's not like a high society person. You look like a little child going out there. You're dishonoring yourself. Do you know who you are? The father would have girded up his loins to go run out and meet the son. This would have been an embarrassment. This would have been a scandal in this town. They would have been offended that this, boy, this man would have done it. He has dishonored himself. Diane, you can put up the second one, which is uh, humility and uh, dishonor. Um, but uh, you get the idea here. This was embarrassing for him, but he didn't care because his son was home. And I want you to remember this. Um, the father could have had him stoned, could have had him killed. And also at this point, the father could have said, you are not allowed into this town. You must sit by the city gate. Everybody knows your business and what you've done. They can haze you. They can harass you all they want. And it's totally fine, part of our culture. The father had the opportunity now to say, oh, so you're back. <laughs> it's time to pay the piper, boy. You're going to sit by the gate for as long as I think is enough before I'll even let you home. And we'll discuss that later. But he didn't. He had compassion upon this child, enough to dishonor himself. Verse 21, let's move on. Uh, the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, last week, we saw this before. Because while he was with the pigs, the son started to rehearse this. And he had this long speech he was going to give, and it was genuine. There was genuine repentance here. He realized the wrong that he had done. But we don't get the full speech here. We don't. And there's a reason that we don't. Because of the father hugging on him. And not just that, maybe he's stunned. I mean, that his father's even doing this. You, what are you doing, dad? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how guilty I am? Why are you dishonoring yourself? Why are you hugging me? Why are you associating with me? Why do you love me? I have nothing to give you. Verse 22, the father interrupts his speech that he has rehearsed probably a hundred times walking home. But the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The father does something even more scandalous. He interrupts his son. And you could say the father's forgiven him before his son even said a word. Yes, the, the son started his speech and the father's like, be quiet, you're forgiven. Back to where you were. No, I'm not going to make you a servant. You're one of the family again. He takes him back. His son had nothing. Nothing to atone for his sin. Nothing. And yet the father had compassion upon him anyway. 
There's three things that he gives him, and these are significant. He gives him a, ra- a robe. Uh, the robe, just so you know, isn't like a nice little bathrobe that he put on. The robe that he was given would have been a formal gown, okay? A formal gown. He would have put it on. Uh, this is like a tuxedo or a ball gown for some of you. I thought about a ball gown today, but that really would have been problematic and disturbing. So if I put that on today, uh, that was enough. So it was a formal, formal gown, something you only wear for the most special of occasions. And this is what the father puts on pig boy, pig stink. He puts it right on him, all of his dirt, all of his nastiness. Here you go. He honors him. He gives him a ring, which would have been a signet ring. It would have had the family crest. It would have had a seal. He now is given some level of authority, and his rights as a member of the family have been fully restored. And he gives him sandals. Remember, the son wanted to be a servant. Maybe dad will just let me be a servant. The only people that did not have sandals in the house were the servants. And so the father, by giving him sandals, says, you're not going to be a servant. You're my son. I know what you did. I don't care. You're forgiven. 100%. You're back to the position that you were before. There's something to also consider, and this is going to bleed into next week about this. The gifts that he gave him, the gifts would have been taken from two-thirds of what the father had. Why am I pointing out two-thirds? Last week, when the inheritance was divided between two sons, the oldest son got two-thirds. The youngest son got one-third. See where I'm going with this? The son is now getting to enjoy the inheritance of his older brother, which will lead us into thinking about possibly part of the reason the older brother is the way he is next week. See, the sinners who hear the story see a father who is eager to forgive, eager to love, eager to welcome them back, scandalously so. The Pharisees saw prodigal. Here's what I mean by that. Prodigal, we said, meant wayward or wasteful. What the father is doing by giving a robe and a ring and sandals and something else we're going to see in a second, the Pharisees were saying, this dude is living a prodigal life. A prodigal son and a prodigal father. But the father is doing it for different reasons. Whereas the son was spending it all on himself, the father is doing it because his son has returned. And he's forgiven him. And he's welcoming him back home. Verse 23. Uh, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. He's now saying, we're going to have a barbecue. Man, I'm in. Okay, barbecue, you're talking my love language. The sinners in this would have seen graciousness, whereas the Pharisees would have seen a waste. They see grace. He's now, just so you know, veal, as this would have been, uh, would have been about 500 pounds. That's what I consume over July 4th week of meat. I'm kidding. Veal is not something everybody had. This was for the richest of the rich. This is a specialty. 500 pounds. That feeds more than 75 people. There are not 75 people in his family, which indicates to us this. The family that, or the city, the town that's seeing all this go down, why was the father running out making an embarrassment of himself? Why is he inviting this kid back who's making an embarrassment of himself? Now the father's like, you're welcome. He's back. Come on in town. We're going to celebrate that he's returned. The father bore all the shame on himself. He was willing to celebrate because of his love for his son and his forgiveness. 
in the town, you're invited. We're going to erase all of the shame. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And it was probably going to be a lengthy celebration. The sinners in this would see a father who was joyful. The Pharisees would have seen someone who was immoral. Do you know the law? Do you know the law? What are you doing? How dare you allow this child back in your home? Sinners saw joyfulness. They saw a father that was like, yes, yes, he's home. Let's carry on. The past is the past. There's only the future. And the Pharisees would have struggled with that. Now, thinking of the original audience, the Pharisees would have been more incensed and angry at the father than they were the son. And they were pretty hot at the son. How dare this man Invite that son back. What a blown opportunity to teach him a lesson. The point this morning is this. You can't out God's extravagance. You cannot out God. There has never been a person who has committed sin so egregious, and we can think of some horrible people that have lived in human history so egregious that God's extravagance can't touch you. That God's like, whoa, I could forgive almost anybody, but I don't know, there's a lot there. I gotta think on this one. We have an extravagant father who loves us. We know that in this story, God is the symbol of the father. It's, it's, it, it, that's who this is, and he welcomes sinners back. He vetoes their sin. He pardons them completely, not partially, He's just an extravagant God. We learn from the story that God bears our shame. The son had a lot of shame, and the father made himself undignified so that the son wouldn't be the one everyone was paying attention to. They're paying attention to this high honor society guy who's running around with his loins girded up, and he's hugging a boy who has smells of pig. We learn that God looks for repentance and action, not just words. The father knew the son was sorry because he came home. And that was enough for him. He maybe didn't say all the right words and maybe stumbled on it. He didn't care. His son was home. Third, we learn that God is impatient in eagerness to forgive sin. It's almost like this father was looking for any excuse to forgive the sin of this son. When we genuinely have a heart of repentance, God is anxious to forgive you. He's giddy. He's joyful about it. I don't know what your upbringing was. Maybe God to you was, you know, the God who sits up in heaven with the the red button, and he's waiting for you to mess up, and he just pushes the button to punish you. In, In many ways, this was my upbringing, that that's how I saw God, was the big, you know, the punisher in heaven. I didn't see this God. The one who is joyful, a shame bearer, bears my shame, bears your shame. One who is just anxious, desperate to have a relationship with you because he loves you that much. You can't outsend God's extravagance. You learn this, and then the last thing you learn is that his gifts always outmeasure our failings and works. I do not care what your past is, I don't care. God can forgive 
God will redeem. God will reconcile. God will heal the rift in your relationship with him. You can't out God. Don't even try. We learn a lot about true forgiveness from this father's example, which leads us to two quick points as to what we do with this. One, I need to encourage some of you to reunite some broken relationships. We just saw a perfect example of forgiveness. A father that was willing to put egregious sins behind him to forgive, to cancel the debt of what he may have felt that people owed him, he canceled the debt. And some of us have to cancel a debt today. And it's going to be hard because in our humanness, there is no reason this person deserves this. Yet God sets an example for us of what true forgiveness is. Secondly, for some of us who maybe have been wrestling with a habitual sin, something that we can't seem to beat, come clean with God. He wants you to. He wants you to. This is a God who is anxious, joyful to forgive. But it requires you to come clean and fully own up, not partially, not blame it on someone else. This is my responsibility for my failing and my sin. And God, here it is. This is me, completely unfiltered. And I know that my times of true repentance in my own life, when I have truly been real with God on my failings, I have experienced this compassionate, loving, extravagant God in a way I never did before. I don't know if you've ever made the decision to follow Jesus with your life. I hope that everyone here has, but sometimes some of us may have been thinking we did or we haven't. Today is the day that I want to let you know that there is a God who loves you like this Father does, who doesn't care what your past is, who loves you, and who wants to redeem you. And all you have to do is tell him, God, I know I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I commit my life to living for him. And I hope today's that day that you make that decision. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.